Welcome to the Before You Buy or Sell a Business podcast, where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process, discuss recent transactions, and stay up to date on the latest news in the market. Here's your host, Jared Johnson. So today I got Alan Horowitz with Sunbelt Business Brokers out in Las Vegas. So was happy to bring him on, a very experienced broker that I love working with. Wanted to kind of pick his brain, see what we can do to provide some more information to buyers and sellers that are looking to buy and sell a business. So Alan, let's see, let's let's dive into your background first. Give me a little bit of history of what what you did before you became a business broker. I know it's a pretty pretty robust background. Well, I'll, I'll try to get through it pretty quickly, but grew up in Indiana, went to Indiana University Business School, which is still a really great state business school, and majored in accounting because I, you know, I was told that's the thing you should major in when you go to business school, and then quickly realized I didn't want to be an accountant and and uh, talked to my the dean of the school and and you know said how come I, you know you don't learn how to run a business and and. He said, well, that's not what we, you know, we do here. If we did that, no one would ever get a job because no one's going to hire a generalist. They want to hire a specialist. So I said, well, that's what I came to business school for was to learn how to run a business. He said, so we have this degree called entrepreneurship, but almost nobody's in it. And, you know, I don't recommend it because, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to get a job. And uh, I said, no, that's what I want. So I switched my degree to entrepreneurship and it was the best thing I ever did. When I got out of school, oh, by the way, during college, then I was able to work for the SBA as a, believe it or not, a college kid, you know, a junior in college working for the SBA that that I was being sent out to businesses that weren't successful, were having problems making their payments. And I can't even imagine today looking back thinking what these business owners must have thought about this college kid thinking (laughs) that he's going to help us. But they had no choice, right? They were, they were required to have me come out and see if I could help them. But it was interesting. Got to meet a lot of successful business people. Got to meet a lot of people that went bankrupt in their businesses. They taught us about how to hire accountants and lawyers and, you know, how to be an entrepreneur, how to set up business plans. So it was extremely interesting. Ended up getting out of college and going to work for McDonald's that I had worked for prior to college and um, became a store manager. So I was running my own business. Long story short, I moved to California, ended up owning five McDonald's restaurants. Wow, five. And, yep, five. Where were they located in California? Well, two of them were in Philadelphia. Three of oh, them okay. were in L.A. County, Okay. so near Pasadena. And in the end, I only had the three. Ended up selling those. But during that period of time, I had opened up a bunch of businesses. I was a serial entrepreneur, opened up a software, retail software store, opened up an advertising company, opened up a consulting company to help McDonald's owners sell their businesses. This is how I got into business brokerage. Ah, okay. So the owners just didn't know what they were doing. You know, they didn't know how to maximize their profit. They didn't know how to compute the seller's discretionary earnings properly. They didn't know how to plan in advance. So I started a consulting company just to help my fellow McDonald's owners. And and that's when I really you know, got into business brokerage. So I ended up selling my three restaurants in California, moved to Las Vegas to retire at a young age. I, I, I was in my 40s. 
and wow. that's impressive off, though yeah, yeah took off four years played wow. poker for four years <laughs> and uh, and that was great because the kids were in, in high school and you know able to spend a lot of time with them it was a great time to take off so but my wife and I got bored and decided that she wanted to be a realtor and she said well what do you, you know why don't you be a realtor with me I said I have no intention of you know telling people that they need to change their blinds or paint the walls or the carpet or you know but I said I could you know, I could sell businesses. So I basically interviewed with the major brokerages here in Las Vegas and spoke to the owners and and picked the one that I felt would give me the best training. And uh, that was uh, Len Crick with Sunbelt. And Len is sort of nationally known. He's a, an educator. He's still doing seminars and webinars. And in fact, he trains all brand new Sunbelt franchisees. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and so he's, he's still very involved. So I came to work for Sunbelt and that's how I got into business brokerage. So it sounds like you kind of went a little bit against the grain on everything if you think about it. So you went to school, everybody was doing accounting, or I guess I could say you were maybe more forward thinking because now I feel like there's a lot more people that are trying to get into the entrepreneurship program. As you and I have talked before, when you see the baby boomers that are essentially retiring or being done with the business world, then you have the younger generation now that's coming in and wants to buy a business. They don't want to work in corporate America. So you were kind of way ahead of that at that point. And then you did something that that was maybe a little funny. A lot of people, I feel like, say they want to go to college so they don't work at McDonald's. Right. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it's kind of interesting. So you didn't get out of college and go work at McDonald's. You ended up owning five of them. So Yeah, well, I, I got out of college and went to work for McDonald's, not knowing what else I was going to do, but I wanted to run my own business. Yeah. And, and because I had been an assistant manager for McDonald's during high school and, and in, my sum, in the summers during college, the, uh, so that's a whole different story, but quickly. So the guy that I worked for in high school that owned McDonald's, when I went to college, he had eight of them. And it, they were run horribly. And he couldn't give his managers vacations ever. So he, he made a deal with me. He said, why don't you come back and work? You have a 16-week vacation. I have eight restaurants. Work for two weeks in each one, all eight, over the 16-week period. And I will pay you enough to cover your tuition, your room, and your board for the whole year. Wow. So well, it, that was a great opportunity on both sides because you learned was. a lot too. Yeah. Oh my God! You, you probably walk, learned more than that than being in school. <laughs> uh, you walk into a restaurant, you know none of the employees, you know none of the managers. You're in charge. They give you the keys, and and you immediately need to learn everything and everybody, and and do whatever's necessary, run it properly, and boom, the next. You know, two weeks later, the next day, you're just at another restaurant. It was crazy. Yeah, it so, definitely keep you on your toes, and you definitely wouldn't get bored. Yeah, so, no, it, it was great. Good. It so, was great. Okay, so. so what what year was it that you started in business brokerage with Sunbelt? It's been about 20 years, okay. so about you know, 2002, 2003, okay. somewhere. So there. it's easily safe to say you are a very experienced business broker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you started, did you have an idea of like wanting to go into a specific industry that you would sell? Did you want to work on a certain size of deals? Kind of what was your mindset at that point? My mindset was just to learn. And back then, you didn't advertise on the internet still. So we would fax NDAs to people and fax SIMs to people's business summaries. And we would, but I, I started getting my leads by looking at the newspaper for people that were putting businesses for sale by owner. Uh-huh. And I would call them and I, I was pretty much just taking anything I could take. I would take a pizza place. I would take a closed down casino on the, which I did do. And I would, I would, 
just learning. I was trying to learn every industry. And I didn't want to be specific on size. I, I didn't really care. I just wanted to. The beauty of it was I didn't need the income. Mm-hmm. You know, I had plenty of retirement income, and this was really just for fun. And, uh, and then it, it turned into more fun. It turned into, you know, as time went by and I did deals and knew that I enjoyed doing it, you know, it, it turned into, you know, something that I loved. So, but yeah, it sounds like you had the right background for it too. You know, coming out of school, almost uh, turning around restaurants Mm -hmm. uh, and then of course acquiring them learning how all that works and then learning how to teach people how to sell them you were you were definitely in the right spot to to start doing this and i always kind of look at a lot of the brokers i work with that i really enjoy working with like you that that don't take on listings that aren't going to sell kind of the common denominator there is that they're in a good position where they can tell somebody no i don't want to take that on right and so you being able to do that kind of from the beginning probably helped you maybe pick and choose a little bit of the businesses that you that you wanted to to work with with more realistic sellers yeah well i was always i was able to be honest with people i wasn't out to just get the listing so even today i'd say a majority of people in our industry aren't as experienced and so they just won't say what's necessary to get the listing and I've never been that way you know I've always tried to be honest with people about what the price is and and I just had a meeting yesterday the these people had four location franchise in Las Vegas under contract for a million seven fifty it fell apart they asked me to do evaluation and it came in at 800000 Wow. Yeah. Big difference. Big difference. And, and uh, there was no financing involved. There was a wealthy guy that was going to buy their business. There was seller carry involved. And and uh, But, you know, I'm just going to tell them what it's really going to sell for and what it can find, you know, how I can get it financed, what a bank or an appraiser is going to say. So it's it's been a blessing. And my biggest strength continues to be the fact that I can be not brutally honest, but totally honest, you know, try to get them the most they can for the business, but, you know, not giving them a number that's inappropriate. Yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, it's it actually ends up saving you time. It saves the sellers, the buyers time. I feel like a lot of the brokers will take on pretty much anything that kind of lands in their lap. I've had conversations with brokers and I'm looking at the numbers kind of scratching my head going, where'd you come up with that? Well, that's what they wanted to sell for. Like, oh my gosh. Okay, well, I'm sorry. You know, it's it's going to need to be be appraised. You know, you're going to have a tough time getting this sold. You're going to have continuous price drops. So going in on the front end and explaining to them that this is where it's going to sell, right. let's start with that so we get this thing in and out and done in a couple months rather than a couple years. Well, you know, yeah. the opposite does happen. And an example of that is a, a deal that your bank actually did. The seller came to me and said, hey, my business has been on the market for a whole year. It was on the market for a million eight. We had a few interested parties, never got an offer. Can you do evaluation? I did evaluation, came out to $2.5 million. So he he immediately listed and we sold it for two point five million. Yeah. So and it got financing for the two point five million price. So uh, the opposite can happen. It's unusual, but but it does. So. But at the end of the day, you most likely have more experience than the other broker, and so you know getting it to the right buyer is also part of the equation. Oh yeah, so. getting it to the finish line. So absolutely. yeah. So I think, you know, I kind of wrote, wrote out a question, what sets you apart? I feel like I know that. Maybe you can, and I feel like you've kind of touched on it a little bit. One thing that I would say from working with you for a long time is you are tenacious. You get stuff done. Um, 
you don't stop until we get we get the deal done. Right. I think that's something in the brokerage community that sellers really need to look for is not only are they going to price it efficiently, do they have, you know, some buyers that they're already looking at, but is this a broker who's going to continue to push to get this deal done and kind of fight for the client to make sure it happens? And then also right. being able to, to understand the business. So maybe what we could do is kind of walk through the listing process with you. I know mm-hmm. there's probably some little secrets you might not want to give up, but you know, I noticed a lot of times you're very in tune with what's going on with the business. Right. And I know some of that comes from your background, understanding how businesses work right. compared to somebody that maybe you know sold real estate and decided to get into business brokerage. So maybe we could just kind of walk through if somebody contacted you and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about selling my business." And you yeah. can tell me kind of what you do from that point. So, you know, I, I probably get contacted at least once a day by somebody that wants to talk about selling their business. And the majority of those, you know, I, I like to start off with a, a short 15 or 20 minute call where they can ask the questions and I can ask questions. And and what I'm trying to screen out at that call is, and I tell them, frankly, that, you know, how the process works. And in my opinion, if it, if it isn't going to show an adjusted net income to a new owner of over $100,000, I, I will either refer that out or refer it to somebody in my office or not take it at all because they just don't sell. You know, nobody's looking for a business that nets $60,000 because they can go out and get a job and not not pay. And I often, right, so maybe half the time um, I have that conversation, you know, five out of 10 times, I'm telling people, you know, this is not something that's, that's going to be easy to sell. You know, it only makes 50, 60s. And they're proud of the fact that it makes 50 or 60 or $70,000 a year. And I understand that it's made them a good living or, or they're calling me because it doesn't make anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the first thing to do is screen out over the phone if I feel like I'm going to be able to even take the listing and help them sell it. And then assuming that, that it does, I send them a list of financial items I'm going to need to verify that, right? Because what I do is pretend like I'm the buyer. I put my buyer's hat on. I never represent buyers. I don't do it other than as a consultant where I'm paid in advance. So I tell, and that's what separates me, I think, also. Our, our firm only represents sellers versus trying to represent buyers and sellers. So I put my buyer's hat on, however, because, and at the same time, that's the same that's the banker's hat and the appraiser's hat. And I want to get the information to see if I'm going to be able to justify the price to a buyer, to a, to a banker, to an appraiser. And so I send them a list of the data that I need. And then there's usually a whole bunch of questions that follow. And I, I do a valuation worksheet that I never give them a copy of, but I'll cut and paste certain things out of it so that they can see what I'm working on. Or I do a Zoom call and I share the screen. And we go through it. We make sure all the ad backs are justifiable, verifiable. I mean, you know, there's just no sense trying to, you know, for somebody to tell me that they have a $60,000 ad back on a vehicle, but I only see 20000 on the financials, right? It's never going to fly going forward. So, so the first step is to do the valuation. Some people want to meet me first, which is fine. They want to, Some people want to bring the data here so they don't want to give it to me until they're sure that they like me. Some have me sign a confidentiality agreement, which is fine. But, you know, you know, that's the first step in the listing process. Then, you know, if they're interested in moving forward, you know, I give them a copy of the listing agreement to read in advance, you know, with all the documents they're going to have to fill out so that when we when we do that, which we can do over over 
you know, Zoom or I could do it through DocuSign or we can do it in person, but at least they know what they're getting into. And then from there, it's to write up. One thing that also separates, I think, me from most brokers is I write up a summary, you know, a confidential memorandum that it doesn't matter if it's a $5 million or $10 million or $300,000 business, it gets the same treatment. So it's the same look, it's the same data, it's the same marketing. So in general, sometimes the marketing is a little different for the bigger ones. But, you know, in general, I treat everybody, if I'm going to take the listing, I treat it no differently than a, a larger company. So because frankly, the seller doesn't care. The seller doesn't care about any other businesses I have. They only care if I answer the phone and, and respond to emails and handle their business. That's all they care about. So Yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long is that process typically? I know a lot of that depends on how quickly they get you, what you need, all of that. So let's say someone called you today mm-hmm. and said, hey, I'm thinking about selling. Can you give me an idea of how the process works? how much you could sell my business for, and they do have their financials readily available. How long does it usually take you to get from that point all the way to the listing? Two weeks to more. So let me explain the more thing. So I did this valuation on this four-location franchise, national franchise, and took me a couple weeks to get everything and do the valuation. I had my Zoom call with them yesterday, and we decided on the call that it was better to wait until this year wraps up before we listed and go to market. So it just made more sense. The, the and, banks, that, and that was most likely because their financial situation was changing this year and looking a lot better. So if you've got... Uh, it's actually the opposite. It's looking worse. Wow. So, so okay. And I was honest with them, right? So they did really good during COVID. Now it's they're still doing good, but not as good. Mm-hmm. A bank is going to want to put the biggest weighting or an appraiser on the most recent year. Right. So if, if listing it today, I said, here's what the price would be. But that's not going to work because by the time we get a, a buyer and by the time we go to market or with a bank, it's going to be less because this year isn't as good and it's going to have a heavier weighting. So, right. so you're, you're essentially keeping them from setting themselves up for failure. So exactly. if you listed it now and then it took two to three months to get a buyer, at that point, the year's ended. You're going to have to go back and kind of relook at everything. Yes. So rather than do it now and then you know, have to kind of throw darts at blindly, you, you'll actually know what the price is going to be. And exactly. then obviously you see that going the other way as well, where, yes. you know, maybe they had a, a great 19 and then of course COVID slowed them down. They're recovering in 21. And then now 22, they look fabulous through, you know, September, or October. <clears throat> but right. once you get to the year end, it's going to be back on track of where they were or even better. So yes. oftentimes it's better to wait to get that tax return because then you can go to market at a higher price. Plus, you know, I, and I counsel people that buyers really drop off between Thanksgiving and New Year's. They're busy. They're wrapping up things. They're, 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 they're not looking for biz opportunities. They're, you know, private equity, same thing. Everybody's focused on family, you know, want to finish out the year. So things really pick up in starting the second week of January through May. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the first three or four months of the year are, are really big when it comes to buyers. So I li- I'd rather go to market then than I would want to put something on the market in November or December. And all of that just comes with experience. Yes. have been doing it for 20 years. Right. Yeah. So when a seller is looking for a good broker, that's some of the stuff that they probably aren't thinking about. But obviously, you set them up for success that way. Yep. So 
do you have any kind of restrictions on the size of deals that you'll look at? You kind of mentioned, you know, you want to see at least a hundred thousand in SDE. Right. right. Um, if somebody's right at a hundred, maybe one twenty-five, but everything's super clean, will you take on that listing? Yeah, absolutely. I, okay. I uh, and sometimes I just get, you know, I care about helping people, so you right. know, I, I if they're if they're good clients, they're good people, they have a good reason for selling. They're sometimes it's illness, sometimes mm-hmm. it's something family related. Then I'll do my best to to. Okay. Yeah, to help them, yeah. And then do you have a restriction on how large that you'll go to? The the biggest deal that I've had that I've closed was a little over thirty million, thirty two wow. or thirty three million. Yeah. The, what type uh, of business was that? It was a multi location medical practice. Okay. And you know, I've had lots of larger deals that are sort of on the small end of M and A where we've just did a valuation on a business that's a SaaS business. And you know, it's going to be somewhere between 25 million plus so that's sort of the the max range though so those are marketed differently they're handled differently they take a little longer and that's that's about it we do have another arm of our company that does mergers and acquisitions that i can refer huge deals to but i've i've you know that just came into existence not too long ago so i haven't had the chance to do that yet but so i would rather do more advising and yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. So, do you have any desire to continue to go upstream, that to the fifty plus million dollar range? No, no. 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 I, okay. you know, I, I still have that retired mentality where I just want to enjoy my life. I don't want to overkill myself, overwork. I mean, the last two years have been tremendous financially, but a, a burden time wise on on my lifestyle. So, yeah. the I just want to you know handle what I can handle comfortably and give good service to the clients that I have. And I've been able to do that for a lot of years. So it's great. Okay. What's the smallest deal you've ever done? The, the coffee shop in the building down here downstairs. <laughs> okay. So somebody called me at, you know, randomly and said, listen, you know, I'm looking to buy a, a coffee shop like in a building. And I said, really? I said, well, I, you know, I don't have one for sale, but let, let me check. I'll call you back. I went downstairs. I asked the lady, you interested in selling? She said, yeah, I'd love to sell. I want to get out of here. I said, how much do you want? She said, $30,000. I said, okay, but you'd have to pay me a commission, and here's what the commission would be. She said, go for it. I went upstairs. I called the guy back. I said, you know, the lady here will sell. It sold. <laughs> uh, and, and so we were, it was, that, that was it. It sold basically that day. I mean, I it didn't close that day, obviously, wow. but yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's so many stories that, you know, you could unpack working so long in the industry and half of them you forget about. Yeah. You know, there's times where people will call me and say, Hey, remember? And I'm, I have to sit there first. Oh my gosh. I remember that, you know, or suddenly this funny story will come to you that happened. And it's very interesting. You know, business is, is always fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's, there's a lot that goes on with the transactions. Mm -hmm. So you kind of touched on us a little bit, but if you had a seller who's thinking of selling, what are some of the things that they can do maybe three, six, nine, 12 months before they sell to get themselves in a position that, you know, a, a great broker like you would come in and be able to to get it listed and sold quickly. I actually have a list that I give people sometimes when I have okay. that conversation of things they could do, because there's a lot of things that can add, add value. For instance, 
if they're the actual owner operator and they can do something like promote somebody or bring somebody in that is taking more control of the business than they are, that makes it so much easier on a buyer to buy the business. It makes it so much more valuable. And that's so it's pr- kind of like the old saying, you know, is the seller the business? Right. Is if the they're, if yes. they can demonstrate that if they walked away, of course, you might see a little bit of a change, you know, with ownership, which which is always the kind of the risk for the right, buyer. Right. But if they're able to, to transition that ahead of time, then it's easier to list it and then get it sold because you can easily say this is somebody that is able to walk away from the business. You can plug yourself in and right. take off running with it. Right. Okay. And, you know, also getting your financials in order, that big 30 plus million dollar deal that I did. It took me six months or more to list it because the financials weren't clean enough for me. Oh. The, they just, you know, the numbers kept coming up differently when you looked at it different ways. It, that was never going to work. I'd never get to the closing table. Right. And in that same situation, once we did list it or we were getting ready to list it, I took a tour with the sellers because there were three partners of each location. And I said, listen, you know, you've got a some in some of the locations, they would have a sign that they hand wrote you know, saying, go this way, or, you know, his office, or, you know, or printed on a computer. And it's it's like, listen, I, I had them remodel a little bit some of their waiting rooms. I had them clean. It's like when, I, when we give a tour to a, a potential buyer, even though they're focused on the profit of the business, we'd like to, like it to look like it might be worth $30 million, not like it's, <laughs> exactly, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I'll ask people to clean up their business or if it doesn't show well what they can do or paint this or, you know, like you would a home, mm-hmm. right? Like a realtor right. would for a home. Which you didn't want to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but for a business, I do. <clears throat> yeah. Right? So it's of like, course. you know, it needs to show right. Yeah. And sometimes I never have to do that. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things they can do. The, the more policies and procedures they have, the more comfortable a buyer is. The more, you know, if things are totally not operated well, some buyers can see the upside potential in that, and a lot of buyers can't. So, you know, I give them a list of a bunch of things they could do to help improve the value. Okay. And then, you know, moving forward, when their business is being listed, what's something that you would recommend that they they do to, you know, make sure that it is something that will get sold? Well, the most important thing, I think, is is to interview multiple brokers. And unfortunately, our industry isn't well regulated. And what I mean by that is we're professionals. We have a professional business. We're helping people sell multi-million dollar businesses, but we're not regulated like a CPA would be or a lawyer or an attorney would be or other financial advisors would be. So there's a, a lot of people out there and we're not, the licensing is, you know, most states, only 17 states require even a real estate license. And and the question is, why do you even need a real estate license? I mean, right. there should be a, a business broker license. And mm-hmm. I don't think any state has that. Nevada does have a business broker permit that right. you need to have, but it, it isn't controlled very well. So my point is that just because somebody's advertising that they're a business broker doesn't mean that they have the skills that they need to be a business broker. And those skills would include completely understanding accounting, understanding legal, understanding purchase agreements, understanding how to deal with landlords and leases and lease assignments. And, you know, there's a lot of skills that are necessary. And most brokers don't have all the skills that are needed. So they might have the skill to figure out how to 
put something on Google so that you click on it and call them, but you need to interview them and make sure that you feel comfortable that they have a skill set to help you sell your business. What percentage of businesses that that you give an evaluation to work with them on getting it listed, do you end up winning the listing on, do you think? I, I think if it's heads up against other brokers in town, I probably get it 75% of the time. Wow, and, and And the 25% that I don't is almost always related to price. So, you know, they'll come back to me and say, listen, you know, this broker is saying that I can get $300,000 more for my business than, yours, than you are. And I'll say, well, that's sort of typical in the industry, right? They're going to tell you that. But here's all the reasons why that is a, that it's a falsehood. Right. And, you know, if I can't justify where I'm coming from, I, I shouldn't be doing my business. So, you know, and a lot of times they come back a year later saying, hey, you're right. You know, I wasn't able to sell it. And some of them are able to sell it. And I don't know for what price, but but I get people to come back every year and, you know, say, okay, now I'm going to have to list with you because I just wasted a year. So. Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. So you mentioned earlier you don't work with buyers at all. You also kind of hinted at maybe if they paid you up front or something. Right. So if, if a buyer did come to you and say, hey, you sound like a great broker, you've got great experience. Right. Um, can you help me find a business? Maybe walk me through real quick why you don't like to work with buyers. And then that way a buyer can kind of understand. Because I feel like one of the things that is not discussed a lot is most listing business brokers do not co-broke. So meaning that they won't work with a buyer's broker like in residential or commercial real estate where you've got a listing agent and then you've got a buyer's agent. Typically, they will work together to get the transaction done. One represents one side. And then normally on the business brokerage side, you just have the listing broker. You know, I've always kind of had a little bit of an understanding as why that that goes on. But I know there are one or two brokers out there in the world that will work with buyers. And some of it to me kind of doesn't make sense as far as why they do that or what what they're charging them. So maybe give me just a quick background on like how that became. And then if you did work with a buyer, what is what is it that you would do with them? So when I when I work with sellers, um, I handle the whole transaction. I from screening the buyers to doing the valuation, you know, I, I can manage it. I'm quarterbacking the entire thing. When I'm working with a buyer who might see a listing that some other broker has in a different office, I know nothing about that business. Unfortunately, I don't believe that there's any other brokerage in this market that does as an intense evaluation as I do. So when I've done it in the past, I found out that majority of time it's just never going to happen it's never going to close it wasn't priced right there's all kinds of defects and i'm not getting paid so i wouldn't get paid till 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 we closed so i learned and that's even if the the listing broker would co-op with me right right so let's say we have a broker that would co-op which isn't the standard in this market but some do if if we did have a broker in that situation that was willing to co-op the like i said i won't get paid until closing anyway and I have no idea what I'm getting into. So it ends up being a lot of time for me that that doesn't make any sense. When I do a listing, not only do I control the whole thing, but I normally get both sides because I'm finding the buyer even though I'm not I'm pr- procuring the buyer even though I'm not representing the buyer. But I'm very clear with the buyers that they probably don't need 
a business broker to represent them. If they're going to spend their money in representation, it, it should probably be an accountant to help with due diligence or a lawyer to help with the purchase agreement. And that I can't, by law, be deceitful or dishonest, and I have to disclose any material facts. So if the business I'm representing lost its lease, I have to disclose that. There's, so they, they end up realizing that I'm going to be honest with them about everything, and I help them through the process, even though I don't represent them directly. So the other issue with, with buyers, so what I, what I end up doing now, I have two agreements right now, consulting agreements. I just bill 10 hours in advance. I, I tell them, uh, here's what I could do. I think it's going to take about 10 hours to help you. If the deal falls apart and, and it doesn't work for you and you've only billed five hours, then I'll take another, I'll help you with five hours if you find another business. But so I do it in 10 hour increments in advance and, and I help them with the process. And, you know, they're all usually very thankful that I did that. And why do I do that? Well, one day they're going to be sellers. Right. So and and then the word gets around and they give me good reviews and they, you know, I find other listings through those kind of people. So I like I like helping anybody. So I don't mind. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. So when you do have buyers approach you mm-hmm. and they're coming to you saying, "Hey, I like the listing. I want some more information." What's a piece of advice that you could give to those buyers to make sure that they are prepared to buy the business? And then also, I'm sure sometimes it's competitive, right? You might have five, six buyers that are that are all interested in the business. What's something that a buyer could do to ha- make sure they're prepared and that they set themselves apart so that their their offer is is actually getting looked at? You know, I think the offer has to be fairly strong. I don't think you should lowball. That never works, and it, and it creates a bad relationship between the buyer and the seller, um, unless there's good reason to be. But normally that good reason is found during due diligence. So it's better to place an offer based on what you're being shown and then come back during due diligence if you find something wrong and saying, hey, you know, based on the fact that you weren't recording payroll correctly, the real payroll is actually higher, which lowers the valuation by this amount, right? Justify the price change if you decide that you need to make it. But other than that, you know, I, I think they need to be willing to stand by the the NDA that they signed. They have to be willing to to show their financial strength to to the seller. I recommend highly that they don't place an offer before they meet with the seller or tour the business. Some try to do that. I, you know, I think that's a horrible mistake. I, it just the sellers don't think take it seriously. I mean, you don't buy a million dollar home without going into the home and looking at it first, right? Right. So, you know, th- I think those are some of the things that that they need to think about. They need to put their seller hat on as a buyer and and try to do what they think the seller, you know, would like to see. So. And and do you ever have sellers that say, "Hey, I really liked this buyer over the other one," and for you know various reasons, maybe they feel like it's the right person to kind of hand the business off to, or their idea of what they're going to do with the business after it's it's acquired? Do you get a lot of that as well? I, I do get a lot of that, and uh, you know that's that blessing time where you you're, you're blessed because you have two or three or four potential offers right on the table, and you have to pick. The seller has to pick right. which one they want to take, and there's you know it's. You, you never really know. And you end up potentially losing the other three buyers 
when that happens because they go on to other things or they're not happy and they usually don't come back to the deal. Sometimes they do if it falls apart. So it's actually a stressful period of time for a seller. But uh, sellers are even willing to take a little less or a deal that's not as good if they think the buyer's right. They care about their employees. They care about their business. They want it to continue. You know, so if it's the right buyer, it can mean a lot. And of course, you want it to be successful because maybe 10 years later, they call you and want to sell again. Yeah, I'd say 25% of my listings are are businesses I sold people in wow. the past. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's incredible. Yeah. So, all right. So we got a lot of information here. You know, you went to school, learned entrepreneurship, had a great background for selling businesses. So I think it's it's a good piece of information for buyers and sellers to really look at the the broker on the business they're buying as much as they're looking at the business they're buying to see, you know, how is that broker working? Are they are they going to be able to get this sold? And are they also going to be able to help get the transaction done? So I have two questions that I like to ask everybody at the end. Do you or did you have a mentor? I, I sort of feel like I had three mentors. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur. So that's what created me to be an entrepreneur. Cool. And but What, what my type mentor, of industry were they in? So my grandfather in the you know f- 40s, he had what you would call like a little a discount store, like before Kmart, you know, before Target, and and all the products were laid on wooden tables, right? Wow. The you know, it was yeah. I guess you'd call it a, a startup type discount store, and it was really successful. It burned down. He had no insurance. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, and my father owned a bunch of businesses, and um, you know they were all mostly direct to uh, to the customer stuff. He had a carpeting business for a while. He had an insurance company for a while. So he he was into various businesses, which got me into various businesses. But my mentor business broker wise was clearly Len Crick. I mean, you know, he uh, his knowledge level to this day is is crazy. It's it's immense. And and I don't hesitate to you know ask him his input on things and we still do some deals together. We just did a deal together last year. So he'll refer deals to me and to other people, but you know and we became good friends and you know he's he's going to one of the Raiders games with me this year him and his cool. wife. So, you know, it's he was my business brokerage mentor, I'd say. Interesting. Yeah, and I know it seems like that kind of passes down, right? Your son's got businesses as well. So Yeah, my son came cool. to work for me. And he worked as a business broker for a couple of years after college and was very successful. I mean, I he had I think 15 listings in his first year. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. But he was an entrepreneur, right? He ended up buying one of my listings and then <laughs> then we s- sold it and he bought another one of my listings and then he sold it and bought another one of my listings. And to this day, every week he has an NDA on file and every week I send him all the new listings. He still <laughs> is interested in acquiring wow. more businesses. Cool. Yeah, that's that's got to be fun to see. You know, as a as a father, you you want your son to be successful, and you you know you hope all of the hard work that you put into them pays off one day. So he he obviously listened. So that's great. And then you know, final final question. I know you're you keep saying that you're retired. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I'm sure you're. You're probably just telling yourself that <laughs> to <am>. a certain <laughs> level, <laughs> yeah. So what what motivates you? I mean, you're you're obviously successful. You've you've been successful, you know, since you know leaving college. Mm-hmm. Haven't really worked for anybody since then. Right. So what what motivates you? What keeps you going? What keeps me going is that I feel if I actually retired, 
I would be bored out of my mind, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I enjoy playing poker. I enjoy sports. I enjoy those things, but not enough to keep me busy all day. And I want to be stimulated. I want to. I I enjoy doing deals like I enjoy getting a full house playing poker. I I, I want to close out something. I want to help people. I want to. So I can't imagine. You know, I won't stop business brokerage completely until I can't do it anymore, you know, physically or mentally or whatever, right? I hope that never happens, but the, uh, you know, it's, it's just something I enjoy. So it motivates me to help people. It motivates me to meet people. It motivates me to, to have discussions with people about business. It, it's all, it's enjoyable, you know? So that's, that's the reason, the reason I do what I do. So. Yeah. It's a little different when you, you're retiring from a job that's backbreaking work that you don't enjoy, mm-hmm. right? You enjoy right. doing this. So, you know, you're, you can still, you know, tell yourself you're retired. <laughs> well, and, of course, you can chase that full house. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but, and the beauty of business brokerage is you can do it from anywhere. We can still take cruises anywhere. We can still, you know, we're going to San Diego. We have a place in San Diego. We're going there next week for five days. I can still work every day. No one knows that I'm not working. I could do Zoom calls. I can, I handle my emails. I, you know, I still you know, service my clients. There isn't a buyer that inquires that I don't respond to within a day. So it gives you the ability, this industry, to continue to work. And I mean, I've had some of my biggest deals happen when I was in Colorado, when I was in Mexico. You know, there were, there were times where my wife and I had a plan to go do something in Mexico and a deal just happened. And there was nothing I could do except sit in the lobby of the hotel and handle that deal all day. Right. Yeah. But it gives you the ability to really enjoy your life also. So Yeah, that's yeah. great. So mm-hmm. I guess I'll throw in one more question. I know you love going to the NFC championship games every year. I saw you last year at the game. Of course, being a 49er fan, I was a little sad. But so this year, who do you think is going to play for the NFC championship? I know it's a little early in the season, but if you had to guess right now. You know, I just had this conversation the other day with my son-in-law, and I, I, you know, I mean, the strongest teams are Buffalo, Kansas City. You know, I, I don't, you know, uh, I'm just talking because I'll go to either one of the championship games. You know, I, I don't know who can come from behind and do it. I, you know, I, I feel like Tampa Bay, you know, could be there. I feel like you just don't know, even though they're playing horribly right now, right? It's And the trade deadline is, what, I think in the next week or so. Yeah. So, you know, somebody can trade for somebody good. I don't know. I'm hoping sort of the 49ers might have a chance. I'd like to see the Raiders make it to at least the first playoff round. Yeah. I, you know, I... I wish I could give you better, but I'll be at the game. I'll be at one of the two games. All right. Well, but I'm always worried about the cold ones. You know, it's like, yeah. do I really want to go to Green Bay? Do I really want to go to, to Kansas City? Do I really want to go to Buffalo? So I'd yeah. rather have it in a warmer climate. So. Yeah. Last year I went to the Green Bay Niner game, and uh, oh. it was it was one of those where I said, okay, I can say I did this. I probably right. won't do it again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it was a good time. So hopefully maybe we'll run into each other again there. Oh, so I hope so. Yeah. Really we probably will if the 49ers go. Yeah. Right? Definitely. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah, we'll figure it out. Hopefully it's a home game for them. So it's oh, not, great. Uh, not, as, not as cold. But yeah, I really appreciate you getting on here. So how can people contact you? You know, they can, if you just Google me in Las Vegas or Google Sunbelt Business Brokers and, you know, I'll, I'll pop up and, cool. you know, feel free to contact me directly and that'd be great. All right. Hopefully mm-hmm. some people will listen and give you a call. Yeah. Thank Thanks. you very much. All right. No problem. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player.
For more information, or if you'd like to discuss a transaction, please go to www.jaredwjohnson.com.